Good morning. We have been preparing our hearts this Advent season for the anniversary of Jesus' birth by looking to the names given this child in Isaiah chapter 9. And so this morning we come to the name given him, Mighty God. We prepare to look to God's Word. Let us pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Bow with me. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that in Your triune majesty You would be present, You would anoint, You would bless the reading and the hearing of Your Word. Would you stir within our hearts through this passage a call to worship, a call to serve, a call to know our Savior who is our mighty God. Do this we pray in His name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. So in the 1960s, um, Andy Williams released his song, It Is the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. It's hard to even say the title without singing it, but I'll do you that favor of not adding my voice to his. It's a song that he released in the 60s, and we've sung ever since, and as we hear it and sing it, it brings to mind and to heart this this flood of memories and emotions. It just has a way of taking us back and building within us this sense of nostalgia. What are your best memories? 
of Christmases in the past. I can remember as a child the star that was lit on uh, the ridge line up above Dalton, Georgia. I uh, remember reflections on the pond driving home from Christmas Eve services. What are those memories for you? What, what takes you back and gives a warmth to your heart? It's really what nostalgia is. Nostalgia uh, takes us back to a time in the past where everything seemed simpler. Everything seemed peaceful. And it builds within us this warmth and emotion. But the problem is, with nostalgia, oftentimes those past events are reduced to something lesser. Our nostalgic memories of them don't capture all that was going on in that event. We simply think that if we could go back, it would satisfy us. I wonder, I wonder in this most wonderful time of year, do we reduce Jesus to nostalgia? Do we reduce Him to a sweet cuddly picture of a baby in a manger? Do we reduce him to the image of our modern creation of the nativity scene? Problem is, when we do that, we tend to sometime early in December pull him out of the attic, set him up on the countertop. When we walk by, we smile, thinking of him fondly. But at the end of the season... We box him back up and take him back where he came from. We don't use those words when we think of the sweet little baby in a manger, but might they capture the reality of our approach more than we would like to admit? There must be more to this child. There must be more to this season than mere nostalgia. And I believe that each of us deeply desires that to be true, knowing that it is. We can get stuck in our old emotional reaction to the nativity scene, but this passage, as nostalgic as it is, breaks us out of it. And so, let us unpack what it tells us about the sweet little baby Jesus. First, uh, before we understand his name, we must understand his mission, (laughs) Michael went there last week as he introduced this passage, but we're going to briefly go back there. This, this passage in Isaiah 9 is set in a time of, of darkness and gloom. But in that time of darkness and gloom, it is a passage that offers hope. Because the one who will come is one who will cause darkness to evaporate into light. The one who is to come will cause despair to give way to joy. 
But how will he do this? How will this one to come bring about light and joy? Well, there are a series of three verses all beginning with the word four in verses four, five, and six that tell us how. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. How will this Darkness give way to light, gloom give way to joy. The child will break the oppressor. Who is this oppressor? Looks back in verse 4 to the time of the judges when an invading army, the Midianites, came to oppress God's people. There were various oppressors that came throughout history and come today? Are these oppressors invading armies? Are they terrorists? Are they oppressive political leaders and ideologies? Is the oppressor the coronavirus? Well, in a sense, all of the above are true, but all of the above point to the fallenness of this world. And in the fallenness of this world, we have a pointer to the greater oppressor, sin and Satan. But if you heard me reading, you heard that this passage does not say that the child will break the oppressor text says you have broken the oppressor it is is the prophetic past tense or more appropriately the perfect tense maybe you grammar uh, nerds uh, know this I had to be taught at a way too old age what I should have learned young that the perfect tense is an event that happened in the past. But it's not past tense because this perfect tense carries with it ongoing implication. What took place in the past has very real, very ongoing relevance to us today. The text is telling us in the prophetic perfect tense, you have broken the oppressor. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied of this child to come. Isaiah prophesied of his mission. And he prophesied it with such certainty that he said, you have broken the oppressor. And so for us, living 2,000 years after Jesus, we look back on the fulfillment of this mission that Jesus broke the greater oppressor on the cross because this child was the greater redeemer. It's broken the oppression that has come from Satan. But the text is not finished. The text moves on in verse 5 to another 4. Darkness will give way to light. Gloom will give way to joy, for there is a peace to come. The oppressor's rod, it is broken. It is broken so that God's elect are freed from His control of His destruction, but the peace is not yet 
here. The full and final peace is not yet because we live in the in-between. We live in the in-between between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. So this peace is, is not fulfilled. It was not fulfilled when the exiles returned from Babylon, a time that Isaiah was looking to here. This peace was not fulfilled when previous wars were ended, nor will it be fulfilled if and when our current wars in the Middle East are ended. Because the peace that is described here will only be fulfilled when the implements of war are burned. This peace is not the end of war. This peace is the end of all conflict. Between nations and between individuals. That is the mission of this child who is to come. It is a lofty mission. Who would you send on this mission to break the oppressor's rod, to bring about a full and final peace? Would it be SEAL Team 6? Would it be an army of SEAL Team 6s? No, no. This text points to a child, a child who will come and accomplish the mission, a child who will reign over all. That, my friends, is some child. But who is he? Well, his name says it all. Why don't we name the babies? The name, why don't we give them the names we give them? If some babies, we name them with some connection to our family line. Some babies, we name them because we just like the way the name rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Sometimes we try and capture the hopes and dreams that we have for the child. And we apply a name that seems to fit. But oftentimes when we pull all this together, we have to ask ourselves, does this name fit this small baby? One of the worst kept secrets that I have is that I haven't always gone by James. (laughs) It's a good name. It's a strong name. I love my name. My parents gave it to me because it connected to my family heritage. But for some reason, they looked at me as a baby and said, we can't call a baby James. Sounds too grown up, too mature. It doesn't fit. So we'll call him Jamie. You see, I had to grow into my name, maybe in some sense, I'm still trying to grow into my name. How about this name given to the child born to us? Mighty God. Is there something about a baby named Mighty God that seems to just catch our senses and awaken us what that doesn't seem to fit does it it certainly may not fit our nostalgic image of the baby Jesus in a nativity scene that we will put back up in the attic after the season but it most definitely fits the mission given to this child to read his name it's El Gibor El Hebrew name of God. 
The name of God that speaks to His strength. It speaks to His kingship. Gabor. Strong and mighty. And when you put the two together for emphasis, you get El Gabor, you get mighty God. Mighty God. What a name for a baby in a manger. Without question. This prophecy looks to a child, a son who will be given, but this child, this son who will be given is to be God. God incarnate, His name, His very name speaks to His divinity and His strength. And unlike me, this baby did not have to grow into His name. He did not have to be taught How to live up to His name. He did not have to pass certain thresholds. He, as a baby, fit His name supremely because He was God incarnate. The mighty God. Friends, our oppressor is strong, but our God is mighty. This is the child given to us. So can we think about this name? Mighty God, from two perspectives. First, from the perspective of our God. What is God communicating to us about Himself, about His Son, with this name? Well, we've already said, for one, that He is emphasizing that the baby was God. That He came of His own will according to His eternal plan for His own glory because no one else could accomplish this mission. Our God sent prophets, Isaiah being one of them. Our God even sent angels. But the prophets and angels, as mighty as they were, were mere heralds. They had the power to speak. But in their speaking, they spoke of the one to come. Their purpose all along was to be a flashlight pointing to our God. They spoke of His mission. They spoke of the Redeemer who would come. But no prophet, no angel could accomplish this mission work of redemption the work of our redemption was to be the work of God so in his name God is communicating to us his intentionality this child this mission was not accidental it was not half-baked it was planned before time And His name tells us that God Himself is invested in our redemption. He is not leaving things to chance. God became man. God incarnate came to save sinners. And He, the mighty God, has the power to accomplish this mission. God is communicating all of that to us in the name given to this child. This is what we think of when we consider this name from God's perspective, but what about from our perspective as we receive the name? What does this name stir 
within us. Let's go back to the nostalgia of Christmas. We're tempted to merely think of sweet little baby Jesus, cute and cuddly. And that picture makes us feel warm and nostalgic, but what about all? Where's the place for all in the person of this child? His name. His name is Mighty God. And you and I received that name with confidence. It tells us that we can and should take confidence in Christ. The child, the baby, he is our strong redeemer. The baby in the manger, coupled with strength, the strength of his name, reinforces who he is. Reinforces for us the confidence we can take in him. As I already said, I had to grow into my name. Jesus didn't. He owned it. He owned it from the manger. Jesus, as baby, was mighty God. That God condescended. That He was born of a woman. That He was born in poverty. It speaks to His humility. But His humility actually serves to accentuate His strength. Humility and vulnerability, they actually require a greater form of strength. Fallen man who is physically strong, you've seen it, you know it, you feel it. Fallen man who is physically strong has this need to mask vulnerability. We can't let them see us sweat because then there would be a chink in the armor. There would be something lacking in our strength. But true strength is also simultaneously humble and vulnerable. The humble baby matched with the name Mighty God accentuates His strength. Building within us confidence in this Christ child. But in addition to this name stirring within us confidence, His name and the reality behind His name must drive worship within us. What do we mean by this worship? Well, certainly when we mean worship, we mean prioritizing our life around regular corporate gathered worship as the body of Christ. But it means more than that. This worship that the mighty God drives us to leads us to a dailiness of worship. Let me give you an example. When my son... Stuart was little. It was a time when he came home from school after this writing project, and he came to Anna, and he said, do you know what I love? I love when, when I get to capitalize the H in he when I'm talking about Jesus. He loved capitalizing he as a little child. It's sweet, but it's profound. It's profound because this young child 
was worshiping, living a life of worship by delighting in the simple act of capitalizing an H. Now what's the point of application for that? It is not that we should be pharisaical about whether or not we capitalize divine pronouns. (laughs) The point of application is this. In the everyday moments of life, We are to delight in the strength of Jesus. The child who is named the mighty God. And our worship, marked by delight, founded on His strength, translates to a life of serving this Savior. Not because He is a nostalgic memory but because He is our very present hope in life and in death. To live a life serving this Jesus means that we do not put Him back in the attic when the season is over. Friends, this Christmas, as you think about the nativity scene, let the sweet Imagery warm your heart, but do not stop there. Know that this child is the mighty God. So as we close this time thinking about this name, let's go back to the nativity scene. Maybe in that nativity scene that we pull out and place on the shelf each year, maybe in that nativity scene it was the non religious Gentiles who most clearly got it, who most appropriately modeled for us a response to this mighty God. See, the wise men, they weren't hampered by nostalgia, religious or otherwise. They saw something new. They saw a star. They saw a star, and that star signaled for them a life-transforming, world-altering event. The birth of a baby who was the king of kings. It was the mighty God. And so as they saw this star and chased this child who was the king of kings, they defied the request of the evil king, Herod. They sought the child for the purpose of worship. They arrived, and as Matthew 2 tells us, in arriving at the place where the star rested, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let me translate that for you. The wise men did the equivalent of an end zone dance, standing outside of that house, because this star that they had chased had finally come to rest. And they went inside, and they saw this baby. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then they lavished upon him extravagant gifts. Because the next time you look at the nativity set, see Jesus in a different light. Humble and resting, yes. But look over to the side. See the educated See the wealthy, see the wise lying prostrate before the mighty God. 
You may put the nativity scene back in the attic, but do not put Jesus away. This baby Jesus is not merely meant to be cooed over this season. He is the mighty God. And so in big and in small ways, let us worship Him as Savior and serve Him as Lord. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Your wisdom You have... You have written a story that none of us in our wildest dreams could have concocted. It was a rescue mission accomplished by yourself as you put on flesh, as you dwelt among us, as you secured our redemption when we were yet still your enemies this season. Almighty God, give us a new vision of the Christ child, that we may see him and worship him and serve him as our mighty God. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. In this season of Advent, we appropriately remember Jesus' birth, but in this season of Advent, we also appropriately remember His death. Because in His death, He accomplished His mission. And in His death, He secured for us life, and life abundant. A life that we could not secure for ourselves, but He, by His ever-loving grace, is given to us and is received by faith alone. In this meal, in our coming, in our taking, in our eating, we have a clear sign and seal of that gift of life as we simply receive as we receive by faith. We have Jesus' words this morning. Words as He would institute this meal for us from Mark chapter 14. And as they were eating, He took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And He took a cup. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. If you have come to see this child as your Savior, if you have received him by faith alone, as he is offered to you in the gospel, then come. Come and feast on Christ, be encouraged by His life-giving sacrifice for you. If you are still processing the identity, the mission of this child, if you have not yet come to a point of, of life-giving submission to, to Him, uh, by faith, I, I ask you to refrain from coming at this time and spend time pondering this message praying that the Lord would make it 
new for you, but if by chance this morning you hear the mighty God who came to secure your salvation, if it is your desire to fall prostrate before Him in faith and repentance, this is your invitation, come. Come, Michael will be at the side as his desire to pray with you and for you. We'll have an elder in the back who is there to do likewise. And now as we prepare for this table, let us pray, asking the Lord's blessing upon it. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this table, I humbly ask that you would take this, this little piece of bread, this little cup of juice, would you, would you set them apart and make them Holy, so that as we eat and drink, our, our souls would be nourished, our faith strengthened, and that we would indeed glory in the mighty God. And do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to come as you are led. We'll, we'll come down the center aisle take of these elements and return along the outside holding the elements so that we can eat and drink together. So we'll come, we'll return our masks, we'll sing our hymn of response, holy, holy, holy. Won't you come? The holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who hurt and art and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 oh, the darkness hide thee. Eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Holy, 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 Lord, is not almighty. All thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 
holy, holy, holy, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity.